The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, so the judgment of God is according to truth, part two. In part two, we've talked about how it's focused on the Jews, part one, focused on the judgment of the Gentiles. But here, Paul is uh, he's battling the, uh, the prejudices of the Jews, the, the thought of the Jews that they would somehow be excused or be granted an exception from the wrath of God, that God would not quite judge them for their sin in the same way God would judge the Gentiles. So let's look at Romans two seventeen through 24, and I'll just read it back to you now. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and maketh thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approveth the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. And who are those who are, that are blind, and who are those that are in darkness? The Gentiles to the Jew, right? Verse 20, An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hath the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Verse 21, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorst idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Verse 23, Thou that maketh thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. So Paul, as we discussed about three weeks ago, brought several charges against the Jews, and he brought these charges in the form of rhetorical questions, beginning in verse 21 and going through the end, actually, of the chapter. In verse 21, where the Bible says, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself. We talked about how the Jews did not practice what they preached. They were arrogant, they were hypocritical, and at the core of hypocrisy is deceit. So they gave this, the Jews gave this false appearance of virtue, of morality, and of religion. The Bible goes on to say in verse 21, and again, this is just for the, the sake of review, that thou preachest, thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? So we talked about the theft and thievery of the Jews and how that was common among them. When we looked at Matthew 23, 14, where the Jews uh, devoured widows' houses and all their substance that was left them by their passing husband. And then in verse 22, Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, does thou commit adultery? And likewise, adultery was also common with the Jews, especially among the Pharisees and scribes, especially among their most esteemed teachers. And we looked at John 8, 9, where the adulterous scribes and Pharisees brought a woman taken in adultery to Jesus. And then, continuing verse 22, 
Uh, thou that abhorrest idols, does thou commit sacrilege? And we describe sacrilege as irreverence towards God and holy things. And we talked about the Jews robbing God of tithes and offerings and appropriating to themselves what belonged to God. We looked at Malachi 3.8 through 10 and Nehemiah verse, uh, chapter 13 verses 10 through 12. And now in verse 23, Paul continues, if you will, his gauntlet of rhetorical questions to the Jews. Were the Jews as ready as they thought to face the judgment of God? Was their confidence grounded in truth or false supposition? Let's look at verse 23. Thou that maketh thy boast of the law, and the Jews boasted in God, we read in verse 17, and they boasted in the law, they boasted in the fact that they possessed it, that they had knowledge of it, they boasted in keeping it, keeping the law even to perfection. The Jews gloried in the law being their national privilege distinction, and the Lord being their God. The Bible goes on to say, Thou that maketh thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? Yet the Jews did break the law, and egregiously so, which brought dishonor to God. So how so? Well, the Jews brought dishonor to God in at least two ways. Firstly, not only was the Jews direct disobedience to God, to God's law dishonoring to the Lord, but they also brought dishonor to God because they professed to be His peculiar people, His special people before the nations and the glory in God's law. Thus we learn God is dishonored more by the sins of His people than He is dishonored by those who do not know Him and who do not profess His name. This certainly applies to us as Christians who know Christ and profess His name. We profess His commands. We profess to know His will. We profess His glory, right? And we glory in the Lord. It is a great aggravation of sin by God's people to bring reproach upon God because of our open public sin and hypocrisy. In Psalm 50, verses 16 through 21, the Bible says, But unto the wicked God saith, and God is speaking to the Jews here, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing thou hatest instruction, and castest thy words, castest my words behind thee. Verse 18, when thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him and hast been partaker with adulterers. So once again, we have thievery, we have adultery. Verse 19, thou givest thy mouth to evil and thy tongue frameth deceit. Deceit, lying. And in verse 20, defamation, thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, thou slanderest thine own mother's son. Verse 21, These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. And we often think 
don't we, that God thinks like us? We kind of, we like to deceive ourselves and convince ourselves that, that God thinks just like we do, right? And especially in regards to sin, that we're really not that bad, right? Thou thoughtest I was altogether such and one as thyself, that is, not knowing or approving or else excusing the sin of the Jews, but I will reprove thee. So here we have God's judgment pronounced. But I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Set them, what's the them there? The sins, right, of the Jews. And set them in order before thine eyes. So God will judge the Jews according to their sins. The Jews did not teach themselves that they dishonored God by their transgressions of the law. The conclusion of Paul's charges against the Jews is that their pretended justification by their external advantages of the law was a vain pretense. Merely a false appearance, concealing their real spiritual condition. Their true condition was hidden to men, but not to God. Is anything hidden from the Lord? To men, yes. To God, no. Jesus Christ, Jehovah God, the Bible tells us, searches the reins and hearts. Revelations 2.23. And in Jeremiah 17.10, the Bible says, I, the Lord... And remember, whenever the Lord is capitalized, what, what is the name there of the Lord? Jehovah, right? Jehovah God. I, the Lord, search the heart. God searches all of men's motivations, right? All of our motivations, all of our affections, all of our intentions, designs, and imaginations. The Bible goes on to say here in Jeremiah, I try the reins, the innermost recesses of our hearts and our minds that only God could know. Even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Robert Haldane said this, and by the way, uh, he's, if you're ever interested in doing a deep study of Romans on your own, I highly recommend his commentary. Robert Haldane said this, Was there ever a more beautiful veil than that under which the Jew presents himself? He is a man of confession, of praise, of thanksgiving, a man whose trust is in the law, whose boast is of God, who knows his will, who approves of the things that are excellent, a man who calls himself a conductor of the blind, a light of those who are in darkness. An instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of babes, a man who directs others, who preaches against theft, against adultery, against idolatry, and to sum up the whole, a man who glories in the commandment of the Lord. But observe what is concealed under the mask. It is a man who is himself untaught. It is a thief, an adulterer, a sacrilegious person. In one word, a wicked man who continually dishonors God by the transgression of his law. Is it possible to imagine a contrast 
more monstrous than between these fair appearances and this awful reality. I remember talking to a pastor about this very thing, about the Jews and the Jews' sin, and I remember a pastor saying that that was his thought too, that the Jews were actually more wicked than the Gentiles. Paul goes on to categorize the sins of the Jews under three general sins. Theft, which is unrighteousness, adultery, intemperance, and sacrilege, which is ungodliness. God showed the greatest hatred for these sins, yet they were common among the Jews in spite of all their professions to the contrary. It is said there were no people more self-interested, covetous, and greedy than the Jews. Paul said this. The prophets said this. Historians have said it. The sins of the Jews stood and stand in direct contrast to holy living. Let's look at Titus 2.12. How does God tell us that the Christian is to live? How are we to live holy lives before God? Titus 2.12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I'd like to look at this, if you'll allow me a little closer here. Notice here in Titus 2.12, the Bible says, teaching us that denying ungodliness. What does it mean to deny? It means to hate, to avoid, certainly, to detest, to abstain, to flee from. So the Christian life should not be a life of one where we flirt with sin, where we straddle the fence and we try to push it to the limit. Right? By the way, that's a very legalistic way to think too, isn't it? Is that sincere, heartfelt worship? No, it's, what can I get away with? Right? Teaching us that denying ungodliness, and ungodliness in itself is any kind of impiety or irreverence and contempt towards God. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, those are any kind of sinful lusts, we should live soberly. So this speaks of many things. Firstly, uh, Temperately, which would have to do, for one, with drugs, alcohol. I, uh, for the life of me, I, I can't understand Christians that drink. I mean, any kind of, if there is any value at all. I mean, there's a lot of controversy, right? If there's any health benefit from alcohol. I mean, if there is any value at all, is there, is there not other things that you could supplement that with? I mean, the risk that you take drinking alcohol, I mean, not only legally, but spiritually, just ruining your marriage, crushing your testimony, I mean, I just don't get it. I've been 
to, uh, to weddings, and I've seen Christians drinking, I've been uh, to eat. I mean, I'm talking about with our party, like with who we're with. Uh, out to maybe a special dinner or something, Christians drinking. I don't, I don't get it. Drugs, alcohol. This speaks, when, when the Bible speaks of temperance, it's also speaking of fornication. It's speaking of adultery. It's speaking of gluttony even. Overeating. Any kind of overindulgence. Modestly. Modestly not overindulging, right? But when the Bible speaks of temperance, it also speaks of using wisdom right, and prudence. Right, with making decisions with a sound mind. And actually, if, if you kind of circle back to what I was just saying, when you're under the influence right, of alcohol or drugs, you have a sound mind. No, you've actually given up your mind. Right? You've given up control to something else, right? to a substance. Okay. So we should live soberly, righteously, that means justly and fairly among men. The Bible tells us we're to follow peace with all men. We're to do our best, right? To live peaceably with men, to be just and fair. The Bible also says here, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Piously, right? According to the Word of God, according to the will of God. And we have to know the Word of God, right? In order to do that. I mentioned to the teens recently, I said, I don't understand when an adult tells me they don't like to read. Because if you don't like to read, how are you going to learn this? I mean, I mean, there's audio books. You can't get the, the Bible on tape, or that's outdated, right? I mean, CD. <laughs> uh, what else? <laughs> Podcast? I mean... You know, lots of, lots of ways. So if you don't like to read, I guess that's an alternative. But we must, if we're going to know God, if we're going to know God's will, we must, uh, we must know the Word of God, right? Okay. All right. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so, look, this is not easy, right? I mean, the world is, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's coming at us, right? In every direction. My wife and I have talked before, like, you almost can't look at anything anymore without there being some, you know, uh, uh, immodest picture of a woman or somewhere in some advertisement or whatever. You know, it's, it's everywhere, right? We're bombarded with um, strong temptations, right? We're just getting slammed from every direction. And obviously all these things are contrary to godly living, right? Contrary to living for God. Thus we learn from Paul, the Jews were in the same spiritual condition before God as the Gentiles. What condition was that? A sinful condition, right? Having broken God's law, and therefore would be subjected to the same condemnation, yet with even greater severity. Well, how do we know that? Look at verse 9, Romans 2, 9. 
Going back to Romans chapter 2, Romans 2 9. Tribulation and anguish. That means severe affliction, extreme distress and despair upon every soul of man that doeth evil. Notice the Bible says there just Gentiles. What does the Bible say? Upon every soul of man. Every man, right? Without exception, according to what is just. And by the way, it's not what I think is just. It's not what you think is just. It's what a holy God says is just. Amen? Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Meaning the Jew will be punished above all by God. And why is that? Because the Jews received greater privileges. Greater external blessings and privileges and greater revelation from God. And they did what sinful man does. Instead of causing them to turn to God, right? And glorify God and praise His name. What did they do? They used it as an excuse, as a license to sin against God. We're no different, right? We, we would do the same, right? But it's interesting that Jews had a, a pretty high opinion, right, of themselves and their, their relationship with God, their uh, judgment, whether they would be judged before God, right? And they thought that God would just would give them grace and mercy. Right? Amos 3.2 You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Will God have mercy on anyone? Will He have mercy on the Jews? God says, I will punish you. Luke 12.47 What did Jesus say? And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Greater punishment. Let's look at Romans 2.24 now. The Bible says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Through you, Jew. That's what Paul is saying. What does it mean to blaspheme? It means to speak impiously. Anything that is irreverent to God. To vilify God. To speak evil of God. To defame God. Slander, mock, scoff, reproach. All these things, right? The Gentiles did not just blaspheme the name of God, but they blasphemed who God was. His being, His attributes, His perfections, such as His holiness, His omniscience, His omnipotence, so all of God's character attributes, right? The very essence of who God was. Why was the name of God blasphemed by the Gentiles? Because of the Jews. Why was that? 
because of the open public sins of the Jews. They gave the Gentiles cause, the Bible says, to blaspheme God. For if the God of the Jews was omniscient, or holy, or omnipotent, how could he let the Jews continue to sin against him and not know it? Which was attack against his omniscience, right? Or continue to bear it. How could God bear their sin since he was supposed to be holy, right? And not take vengeance. So Noah actually speaks to his omniscience and bearing it speaks to his holiness and taking vengeance to his omnipotence, right? In verse 24, continuing, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. So Paul appeals to the authority of Scripture to support his claim against the Jews, to substantiate his claim, and what better evidence to appeal to than the Scriptures. Ezekiel 36, verses 17-21, through 21, the Bible says, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it, they polluted it, made it unclean. By their own way and by their doings, by their sin and by their wickedness, their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. A removed woman was not permitted to enter into the sanctuary of the Lord, or in other words, into his presence because of her ceremonial uncleanness. Verse 18, this is Ezekiel 36, verse 18, Wherefore I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their idols wherewith they had polluted it. Verse 19, And I scattered them among the heathen, the Jews, that is, and they were dispersed through the countries, all the countries and regions of the Gentiles. First, by the Chaldeans into Babylon, and that began in 605 B.C. when Daniel was taken into Babylon, and then later by the Romans. And I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way, and according to their doings, I judged them. God punished and condemned the Jews for their sin. In Romans 2.2, the judgment of God, the Bible tells us, is according to truth. In other words, according to what is just. Verse 20, And when they, again the Jews, entered unto the heathen, how did they enter into the heathen? They were carried away, captive, right? Because of their sins against God, as we just read. Whither they went, they, that is the heathen or the Gentiles, profane my holy name when they said to them, these are the people of the Lord. These are the people of Jehovah God. Notice what the Bible says there. And are gone forth out of his land. So what the Gentiles were doing here is mocking the Lord. Mocking the Lord that he could not deliver his people from their dispersion. Mocking the Lord's power. Verse 21, But I had pity 
for mine holy name, not for the sake of the Jews, but for the sake of God's holy name, for his, the sake of His glory, did He have pity. But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. By the breaking of God's law, by their wickedness before the Gentiles, being God's distinct people. On account of the numerous habitual sins of the Jews, they gave the Gentiles great cause to insult and blaspheme the Lord. Firstly, that their God could not deliver them from their affliction. That God didn't have the ability or power. And secondly, that their sins were attributable to their God, as if He was the reason and influence behind their wickedness. Again, attacking the very nature, character, and being of God. Though the Jews had dishonored God, He delivered them for His own namesake and glory. And turning back to Ezekiel there in 36, which we just looked at, if you look at verses 24 and 25, the Bible says, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. What did this demonstrate? What did this demonstrate? I thought I heard a whisper over here, so kind of pointed, but God's power, right? So God demonstrated his power to the Gentiles once again to deliver his people. And we think of Egypt, right? When God demonstrated his power there. And then... In verse 25, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols while I cleanse you. Which demonstrated not only God's power, but demonstrated to the Gentiles that God was not the author of the Jews' sin. Neither did He condone it, but His worshipers must be sanctified. That He is indeed a Holy God. The Lord refers here to the purifying rites prescribed by the law, which were only an external purification, analogous of the internal spiritual regenerating cleansing when applied by the Holy Spirit, by the atoning death of Jesus Christ, as we're told in Hebrews 9.12. How much more efficacious is the blood of Christ to, pure, to purification. How much more effectual is the blood of Christ to our purification? Let's look at Hebrews 9.13-14. through 14. I know we're talking about the Jews here and purification, but what better way to kind of transverse, right? Transition into the New Testament and the purification the internal purification that only the sinless Son of God can give a person. And that our Savior has given us. Hebrews 9, 13-14 For at the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, the young cow, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, 
And that's all this purification did was purify the flesh, right? It was purifying the body from sin in an external ceremonial way. It also entitled and fitted the Jew for certain external privileges and brought relief from temporal punishment. But it did not purify the soul from sin. In verse 14, how much more, how much more efficacious shall the blood of Christ, the blood of the very Son of God, who through the eternal Spirit, the Holy Spirit, offered Himself, being our divine High Priest, offered himself as a sacrifice, right? His body, his human body, his human nature, his body, his soul. Without spot. And that's important, right? Because Jesus was in perfect conformity to the law. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law perfectly. So Jesus himself, his sacrifice was conformable to the law of sacrifices. He was without sin, without spot. It's interesting when you read about the sacrifices and how the extent that the Jews went through to make sure that their sin sacrifice, their sin offering was without spot and perfect. The, red, the, the heifer, the young cow that we talked about, was a red cow. And there's different, you know, there's different opinions, but basically two years old, and if that red cow had more than two hairs of another color. They would go through, they would comb through that cow. And if that, if that cow had more than two pieces of hair that were not red or black or white or whatever, they would not use that, that cow as a sacrifice. And the Bible also talks about not having any defect and so forth. So that animal sacrifice had to be perfect, right? How much more perfect than the sacrifice of God's own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible says here, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God. And we could go on and on about the purity, right? And the perfection of Christ. Only Christ could satisfy the justice of God for the sins of his people. Christ offered himself without spot to God. The Bible says, purge your, purge your conscience from dead works. Purge our conscience from dead works. Purifying our heart and our soul from the works, the filing works, right, of sin. To serve the living God. So what does Jesus do? He, take, he, he purges us, he purifies us from all our sins. Right? He takes the guilt away. And then he also sanctifies us to serve him forever. To serve the living God forever. We do need to finish up here. I just want to... Um, oh, there's Dalton. Okay, I'm finishing. Um, I just want to sum up what we talked about this morning. Paul proves to the Jew by the authority of Scripture that they were not only accountable 
and guilty before God for their own sins, but also for giving the Gentiles a reason, an excuse to blaspheme the holy name of God. Hence, Paul shows the Jew, contrary to their thinking and belief, that they were no more prepared to face the just justice of God than the Gentiles were, whom they were quick to condemn. And we find that in Romans 2, verses 1 through 3. The Jews were quick, right, to condemn the the Gentiles. They had no problem seeing their sin and condemning them. But when it came to themselves, they 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 couldn't see that, right? They couldn't see their own sin. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for convicting our hearts of our sin. We thank you for saving our souls and making us believers in Christ today. We thank you for the gift of your Son, the perfect sacrifice to save us from our sins and to purify us from our wickedness. And we just pray for those, Lord, who don't know you as Savior, that you would use us, that you would use others and bring them to a saving faith in you. And Lord, help us even as your people to be humble before you, Show us our sin when we sin against you and cause us to repent quickly. That we would serve the living God. We would glorify you in our lives as we should. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275. Or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.